All right. Well, good morning, Bridge Church, and welcome. You may be seated. I am glad to be here. I want to welcome those of you watching online as well. We are so glad that you are tuning in that way. For those of you watching, let's put our hands together for the online crew that is watching. I am so happy to be back here. I love coming to the Bridge Church. My husband, Arian, and I, we are campus pastors at the Scottsdale Dream City location down in the valley, but we have gotten to come up here several times over the course of the last several years, and we love it. We have known your pastors, Landon and Emily, for a long time. We go way back with them before they were even married to ministry training school, master's commission, um, and we've just loved over the course of the last several years seeing what God is doing in their lives, in their ministry, right here in the bridge. And so it's been amazing. We love coming up. I honestly feel like every time I'm here, I just get a chance to hang out with extended family. I see familiar faces each time, and I love reconnecting and, and catching up. Um, we have four boys of our own, so we've got a teenager now. Last time I came up, two of my boys came with me and loved it, um, and they're, they're home this time. But we've got a 13, a 12, a 10, and a 7, um, all boys. And so just really wild and, yep, <laughs> crazy in our home. I love it. Um, but we love coming up here and just being with you guys. And honestly, um, every time I leave here, I feel filled and refreshed just by being with you guys. And the community that's happening here is amazing. And you have phenomenal leadership here too, your staff, your leaders. And I just thought, you know, I know that Pastors Lynn and Emily aren't here, but can we just put our hands together for some dynamic leaders that you guys have, your staff. It's amazing. And I'm glad. I, I love the series that you guys are on, this Kingdom Culture series that you are um, that you are doing and a part of. It's so interesting because when Pastor Landon had reached out and told me about it, we're actually doing something very similar at our home church. We're talking about the Kingdom of God and Kingdom Culture too. So um, it's really neat. I'm going to just continue on that vein um, in this series today. And in talking about culture. You know, we know what culture means. We hear the word a lot, but I want to just actually read the definition this morning. When we're talking about culture, we are referring to the customs, attitudes, and behaviors of a specific group of people. So the customs, attitudes, and behaviors. And so, you know, as children of God, He's lined out for us some customs, attitudes, and behaviors that we are meant to align our lives with as we look at kingdom culture. Culture is not a new word. We've been hearing the word culture a lot this past year, quite often paired with the word cancel. Everything's all about cancel culture, canceling the things that, that our culture, the culture of this world and this society doesn't agree with or can't control. And so they want to cancel it. They want to silence it. And the truth is, is this hasn't just been a, a 2020 thing. This hasn't even just been a 2021 thing as we've still seen it bleed into this year as we've entered this new year. This is actually a sin problem thing. This, this desire to recreate what's true, to recreate a version of truth isn't a modern thing, although we see it happening all around us. It's a sin problem thing. It's trying to recreate a culture that doesn't bring conviction. That doesn't cause you to feel uncomfortable. That doesn't offend or step on toes, but it's not a new thing. 
We can look in Romans, Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 24. We hear Paul addressing this very same thing. He says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. I want you to think about that for a minute. They began to think up. That's a lot of the people in our world today, foolish ideas of what God is like. You know, we hear it in statements like, you do you, or what's your truth, or anything. You know, all those things go. Everybody's version of the truth. We don't want to offend anybody, but everyone's creating their own version of what God is like. Paul goes on to say, as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. It feels very congruent with what we see happening in our own society today because this wayward culture, it's not a modern thing. It's a sin problem thing. Because when people want to do what they want to do, they want someone to validate that. They don't want conviction to come and squeeze it out. And so in our society today, we've gotten really good at covering up that squeeze of conviction, that uncomfortable rub that we feel in our spirits when we're doing something that we know we shouldn't be doing. It's God's way of trying to get our attention, but instead of taking heed to it, instead of listening to it, in our society, we've gotten really good at covering it up with medication, with substances, with busyness multitasking with social media, with never-ending distractions that just keep our minds going and not taking time to focus on what God is calling our attention to. And we've been bombarded for so long by the world's definition of culture that sometimes I think we forget that God has established customs, attitudes, and behaviors that we are meant to align our lives. Like our lives are not meant to look like the culture we see around us. We're meant to look like the culture we find in the word of God. This kingdom culture, it's not a culture that just points out what's wrong with the world. It's a culture that invites us to align our lives with the presence of God in our everyday life and the promises that we find in his word. And so to really grasp this concept of how we can be active participants of kingdom culture today, we're going to look back at a, cult, at a kingdom that we find in the Old Testament, a kingdom that took place a long time ago in history that was very important, very significant to the Jewish nation, to God's people, the Israelites. It was a kingdom that was ruled by a Persian king from around 486 to 465 B.C., the Greeks called this king, King Xerxes I, and if you grew up in church, you would know this account as the account of Queen Esther. The book of Esther in the Bible is 10 chapters long, and nowhere in those 10 chapters do you find the mention of God. 
but you see kingdom principles at work all throughout the 10 chapters. You see his hand and his presence woven in as you know that he is at work. And if you've never read the book of Esther, I would encourage you to read through all of those 10 chapters. But for the sake of time this morning, I'm going to summarize it because I want you to get the gist of the story and then I want us to go and unpack the kingdom principles that we find at work here. So this king, King Xerxes, had been married to a woman named Vashti, who was queen. But Vashti, at a dinner party that the king had in, in front of a lot of prominent people, snubbed him. She didn't do or perform what, what he wanted her to, and so it hurt his ego, it hurt his pride, and it cost her the title of being the queen. She was stripped of that role and pushed aside. But now he needed a new queen, queen so his advisors around him put together this plan, and they told him, don't worry, we're going to go round up all these beautiful women and you're going to get your pick out of the most beautiful women in all of the provinces who you want to pick as your next queen. And so that's exactly what happened. They gathered up all of these beautiful unmarried women, brought them to the palace, and then the king was going to have his pick out of all of them. Sounds like a pretty familiar TV show that you can catch on ABC. King Xerxes, I think, may have been the original Bachelor. And those women may have been waiting for that final rose. But the truth of the matter is this. Most of those women were not rushing out to be a part of this beauty pageant. As you read this encounter, really this was going to be life-changing for all of these women. They were going to be taken out of everything they knew. And most of them, except one, were going to give up on all hopes and dreams of ever actually being married or having a family. They didn't get a say in the matter at all. This book of Esther is actually filled with circumstances that you read and you think, I can't believe that's actually in the Bible. I would expect to see it on The Bachelor or, you know, on TV, but that's that storyline is actually in the Bible. Yes. So read it for yourself. But here we go. Summarizing again, Esther is among the women chosen, brought back to the palace. And all of these women undergo 12 months of beauty treatments. That would be amazing, right? 12 months of beauty treatments before they ever meet the king. A whole year of preparation is going into this. And then on the day that each one of them are going to have their encounter with the king, they get to pick, the Bible tells us, whatever they wanted to wear. From all of the royal wardrobes in the whole palace, they get to pick whatever they want to wear, whatever jewelry they want to wear. They get to choose how they're going to make their impression. I want you to remember that. After meeting all the women, the king chooses Esther. She had stood out above everyone else. And so now this Jewish orphan girl who had been raised by her older cousin Mordecai is now the queen. And again, I'm going to summarize the timeline here, but at some point during her queenship, this plan and plot arises from one of the king's right-hand men. And he was carrying an offense, and he decided that because he was so angry about this offense, he was going to annihilate all of the Jews. So he presented it to the king in a way that the king didn't fully understand, didn't read between the lines what was happening, and he signed off on it. So this plan is now in motion that all of the Jews on a specific day are going to be annihilated. And so Mordecai, who had raised Esther, who was still mentoring her from afar while she was at the palace, sent word to her telling her about this plan and asking her to do something, basically saying, you're the only one now that can stop this. She reads it. She She's devastated. She's horrified. But she also feels like, what can I do? What can one person do to make a difference in this kind of, of terrible circumstance? 
She didn't see what she could do, but Mordecai sends a response back to her. See, the thing was, is that in that day, you couldn't approach the king on your own. You couldn't just seek an audience with the king. He had to call for you. And if you decided that you wanted an audience with him, there was a tradition where if he was going to grant you an audience, it was a huge risk. If he was going to grant you an audience, he would hold out his scepter. And that would be the sign that I'm going to allow you to come before me. But if he did not hold out his scepter, God Guards would come, arrest you, and you would be killed that very day for even daring to come before the presence of the king. So Esther knows the gravity of this situation. She's being asked, you need to go before the king, and she knows it can cost her her life. But Mordecai says this to her, probably some of the famous, most famous verses in this book, chapter 4, 13 through 14. Mordecai sent this reply, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. For such a time as this, she responds back by asking him to gather all of the Jews to pray for three days. Pray and fast for three days. She's going to do the same. And at the end of the three days, she takes the risk. She approaches the king, and he holds out a scepter. She gains an audience with the king, and because of her courage, because she was willing to step out, because God was leading her to step out, and she obeyed, the entire Jewish nation was saved at this point in history. Now, again, I want you to go back and read all the in-between details, but today I want us to unpack some of these kingdom culture principles that we see referenced here. The first one is this, we've got to seek the king. What we see here, what bears witness throughout the rest of the word of God that we can read from cover to cover is that our king invites us to seek him and we've got to seek the king. Matthew 6.33 says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. What does that mean? It means that we are to seek the reign of God in our everyday lives. We just sang that song, You Reign Over All, and it was beautiful. I've actually not heard that song before. It was a beautiful worship song. But on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, do we come before the Lord and seek his reign in our everyday lives when we are making decisions? Because that's what it means to seek the king. And we're not always good at this because we're wired for instant. We're wired to be busy and to multitask. And all of those things are contrary to the time required to quiet our hearts, to be still and know that he is God, to be still and seek the king. I read this interesting article not too long ago, and it was a study done on 12,000 employees that worked for various companies. And this study showed that 66% of these 12,000 people, so well over half, could not focus on just one thing at work. And the term given to this was continuous partial attention. And it was defined as this, the the state of always being partly tuned into everything, while never being fully tuned in to anything. 
It's this always on kind of state that we tend to live our lives by. We don't want to miss out on anything. So we kind of partially tune in, but we don't ever stop and focus. And what they're finding is that emotionally and mentally, it's as if we're operating in a constant state of crisis. That's what it's doing to us emotionally and mentally. It's this burden on our bodies that we feel like we're always in crisis mode because we're always on the go. We can't stop. We're always on. We don't ever rest and relax. It was, it's meant in small doses to be functional, to help us get through some things. But what they're finding is that the majority of people are living, their dominant attention mode is becoming this, continuous partial attention. And what it's contributing to is more stress in everyone's life and a compromised ability to reflect, to make decisions, and to think creatively. You recognize that in your own life at all? Because I know when I read that, I did. I can recognize that, that hard time to just sit and focus. It, it ended by saying that when continuous partial attention is used as our dominant attention mode, it contributes to us feeling overwhelmed, overstimulated, and unfulfilled. And it's crazy, but we see it, right? It's so true because we're here, we're here, but we're also here. And we're here all the time and we're emailing and we're texting and we're checking up on messages and we're ordering things and we're making lists and we're getting food and we're reserving a table and we're in conversation with someone, but then we hear the buzz or we feel the buzz and we start to think, what am I, is that an email? Is that a text? Is someone trying to get a hold of me? I don't want to miss out. So I'm going to ask you to hold on one minute in the middle of your sentence and I'm going to come back here and I'm going to check to see what I'm missing and then I'm going to go back into a conversation with you or I'm going to try to raise my kids and I'm like this or I'm going to try to read the word and I'm like this and I'm going to try to spend time in my prayer time but I'm like this and we aren't focusing on seeking the king. We're pulled in all of these different directions. It says that the average person checks their phone 150 times a day which breaks down to be that we don't even get through one hour of our day without spending minutes on our phone. And I wonder what it would be like if we could turn our attention to God 150 times a day. How would our lives change if we sought the king more than we sought what we're missing out on? And I want to read, I'm going to pull this up in the message translation. I love that too, Matthew 6:33. I want you to hear it now after hearing that in the message translation. It says this, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. God's kingdom is supposed to be the ultimate pursuit of our lives. Above our careers, above our relationships, above everything else that we do, we've got to make him the priority. I want to read this in Esther. I want to go back to, remember I said, remember that, that they got to make their impression. When all the other women, when they were going to go before the king and they all got their choice of what they were going to wear, this is what the Bible says about Esther in chapter 2. When it was Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted the, the advice of Haggai, the one that was in charge of the women. She asked for nothing except what he suggested and she was admired by everyone who saw her. 
what is that saying? When you read it in different translations, it words it differently. When it was her turn, she didn't bother herself with what's going to look best on me. What do I fit into the best? What's going to make me look the best? She stepped back from what everyone else around her was doing, how it was going to best fit them. And she said, I need to know what the king likes. I want to hear what his style is. What does the king prefer? Because I want to come adorned in what he's seeking. I want to seek what he likes so that I can make a difference. She had come to the conclusion that it doesn't matter what my opinion is. What's his opinion? Because that's who I'm trying to impress. As followers of Christ in the society that we are living in, there's a lot of people wanting to be heard. There are a lot of opinions circling around. People trying to think, what camp do I fit in? What side of this issue do I fit in? What what voice, what do I have to say to this? What if we just went to the word and sought out what our king desires? What our king is asking of us? What his opinion is? What he likes? And we aligned our lives to this. We would find favor with our king the way that Esther found favor because she sought what he liked. The number one objective in our lives is to seek the king. The second principle we find is to step out. We see the courage that Esther displayed. God expects us to get involved in his kingdom as his followers. And as we seek him, he begins to stir us. And as we're stirred, we have a choice to make. Am I going to step out and follow what God is stirring me to do? Or am I going to shrink back? We saw Esther make the decision to step out when it could have cost her her life. And how many times do we find ourselves shrinking back and we're not even in a life-threatening situation? God's maybe nudging you to go talk to somebody or to go pray for somebody or to begin having a conversation about Christ with somebody. It's not going to cost you your life, but it may feel a little bit uncomfortable. And how many times do we shrink back out of fear? Like, I don't know if I'm the right one for this. I don't know if I'm going to have the right words. What if they ask something I don't know? You probably should just ask somebody else. And we start backing up. Or maybe you get weird, like I've done before, and you feel God nudge you to something and you're like, well, God, if this is really you, then I need that person to like sneeze right now and I'll know that it's you. Or if they can drop whatever they're holding, if you can just cause everyone else to move out of the way so it's not awkward, then I'll know it's you. And we talk ourselves out of doing what God's calling us to do. Why? Because we're afraid. We feel insecure. What if I look foolish? What if I don't know the words to say? What if we just step out and trust God? What if we just choose to obey what he's nudging us to do? Because the thing is, is if I go and and start to pray for somebody and God maybe didn't, maybe I got my wires crossed, he didn't specifically say, go to that person, Am I doing something wrong? No, I'm still stepping out in faith. I'm still doing something that God would honor. And so we don't have to back ourselves up. When we feel that nudge, we should move ourselves forward. Salvation is free, but everything else in the kingdom of God is warfare. And that's why he's given us armor. So we've got to get out of our spiritual pajamas and put on the armor of God every single day and fight against insecurity and fear. Because here's the truth. Your insecurity, when it holds you back from doing what God's called you to do, it becomes disobedience. We want to look at it as like, I'm just insecure. It's just who I am. It's part of my personality. I like to be in the back. I don't like to do anything. It's just who I am. 
And God's like, no, that's disobedience. When it keeps us from doing what God's called us to do, we can call it whatever we want, but we're not obeying. So it's disobedience. And we've got to stop treating it like, oh, is this just little thing? Everybody has it. God is saying, step out and trust me. If you want to be a part of the culture that God is building and doing the actions, the attitudes, the behaviors, we've got to put on our armor and fight against fear. We might feel it, but we don't have to be paralyzed by it. Because you are here for such a time as this. You are a part of this church for such a time as this. What God is doing here, what God is doing through here, you are a part of your neighborhood. You are a part of your job. You are around those people for such a time as this. You are sensing the stirring in your spirit that God is doing for such a time as this. Not to be ignored, but to be followed. 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 7, Paul says to Timothy, I remind you to stir up the gifts that are inside of you. For God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Kingdom culture requires courage. It requires us to step out. It requires sacrifice. It requires us to stand sometimes, even if we stand alone, making the decision that I'm not going to bow down to fear. I'm not going to bow down to compromise. I'm not going to let those rule and reign in my life. I'm going to only allow him to rule and reign in my life. As you seek him, he's going to stir you. And as you get stirred, let's be willing to step out. Because when we do, we align ourselves with kingdom culture. The third principle we see at work here is to stay the course. A part of kingdom culture is to stay the course. Esther stepped out, but she followed it all the way through. And as intimidating sometimes as stepping out can be. You know, we, we step out sometimes and we, we, we get up that courage and we step outside of our comfort zone. We're like, I'm outside of my comfort zone. But it can also be exciting and it can be exhilarating and thrilling because it's new. And for those of you that maybe have that personality where you seek adventure or you seek new things or you get bored easily, then sometimes stepping out isn't the problem. Sometimes staying the course is. Because staying the course isn't always exciting. Staying the course isn't always thrilling and adventurous. It's kind of just continuous. It requires consistency. And that doesn't always feel fun. Staying the course requires continual sacrifice as opposed to just short term. You know, the Bible calls us to be living sacrifices. It's not just a one-time thing. It's a continual thing. It requires us to stay out of our comfort zone rather than just step out one time. It requires that we stay in that uncomfortable place. Like, I can feel that fear. I can feel those insecurities. I don't know if I'm the right person, but God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to keep following you forward. Last year, I had been praying about some things, and I had been praying probably for about a year, and I felt like I was just in this waiting season. And I wasn't sensing God's direction. It was some timing things that I had been praying about. And so I was outside. I love to just walk and pray outside. I feel like I am so undistracted that way. And so I was outside just praying and walking. And again, I was just praying what I felt like I had been praying about so many times before, asking God for direction, asking God for, for his leading, for him to, to just show me and reveal to me what, you know, his, his will was in that situation. And so I'm praying and I'm like, you know what? 
I'm just going to make sure God knows I'm ready. (laughs) So I'm like, God, I am just ready. I am ready for whatever that next step is. I am ready for whenever you show me what your timing is. All you got to say is, is you just tell me and I'm ready to step out. And that's not a bad thing to say to God. But if I can be very transparent with you, it was almost like a strategy. Like maybe if God hears me this way, he's going to answer me quicker. (laughs) Maybe if God just knows how ready I am, he's going to realize that my timing is like now. So could you please just bring it now? So I'm out there and I'm like, God, I'm just, I'm ready. Do you know that? Maybe I haven't said it. So like you just show me and I'm going to take that step. And I just, I just love you and all of this. And I felt as my foot was stepping off a curb, I felt him speak to my spirit and say, what if your next step was to stay the course? And I knew it was God because it was not me. (laughs) And I remember my foot hitting the pavement and kind of stopping. And I just said, that doesn't really feel like a next step, God. Kind of just feels like the same step I'm already taking. (laughs) Is that what you really mean? And as I kept walking and I kept praying, I felt God begin to show me how staying the course is not this stuck stance that sometimes we view it as. Sometimes we view our waiting seasons, our times where we're not necessarily sensing God's clear direction or his answer, and we feel like we're stuck and we're not moving. But I felt like God began to confirm in my heart that staying the course, it is a next step. It's just a next step in the same direction that he's already called me to walk. And it's a commitment to faithfulness to say, all right, God, then I'm going to stay the course in this until you change something, until you do something differently. I'm not going to give up on this. And what I realized that for me in that season of my life, I was longing for the harvest season and I wasn't there yet. I wasn't at the harvest season. See, the harvest season is a great season because you see the produce. You see what all that hard work, what all that waiting, you see the result. You're holding something. It's tangible. You can see it with your eyes. The plowing season, not so much. The planting season, you know it's going to be a while. The watering season and then the waiting season. But do you know that if any of those seasons didn't take place, you'd never get the harvest season? If any of those seasons got cut short, you wouldn't get the harvest season. If we get like we do sometimes so busy digging it up, wait a second, is it still growing? Wait, is there roots under there? Wait a minute. Like what happened? Is there any, wait. We hinder the process. We lengthen it because we want to see something. We want to feel it. We want to know. But God asks us for faith to trust even when we don't see. To still believe, to still stay the course and follow him forward even when you don't see the finished result yet. Because all of those seasons will get you to the harvest season. But you cut any of them out you aren't going to get the harvest that you're longing for. Your waiting seasons are not wasted seasons. God knows how to use those waiting seasons to develop things in you, sometimes that you didn't even realize you needed developed, to take you to that next step. Sometimes he's working all the times. He's working in ways that we can't see, but sometimes he's specifically cultivating you during those waiting seasons. And so we stay the course. And I think that some of you in here need to be reminded today to stay the course in some areas in your life that you're growing weary. Stay the course 
in that choice that you've made to release that offense. Stay the course in that choice that you've made to walk out forgiveness. Stay the course in your marriage, in fighting for your marriage and making time and and walking out that faithful commitment. Stay the course in your parenting and in your consistency and it's hard and it's busy and it demands a lot. Stay the course. Stay the course in praying for those people in your life that you know aren't serving the Lord right now. Maybe for some of you, it's your son or your daughter and you've raised them to know God and they've walked away. Maybe it's a sister or a friend or a parent. Stay the course in your prayer life. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. Stay the course. It might take longer than you would want, but don't give up. Some of you in here need to be reminded to stay the course in your purity. In a world, in a society, in a culture that does not honor purity, that does not set purity as a standard anymore, kingdom culture does. The behaviors, the patterns, and the customs that our king sets for us, it's a standard. Stay the course. Don't compromise. Don't bow to compromise when it comes to your purity. Thinking nobody does this anymore. Yes, those who follow Christ, yes, we make a choice not to bow. Some of you need to stay the course in carving out time to seek the king, to quiet yourself, to get in the word. Stay the course as you grow as you develop, as God works in your life. Don't quit in the wait. Galatians 6, 9 says, do not grow weary in doing good for at the right time, you will reap the harvest if, if you don't give up. And God puts that in the word for us because he knows we're prone to giving up. He knows we're prone to getting weary and giving up. We're prone to stopping. We're prone to saying, well, I'm just going to take my own step then. Let's stay the course. Kingdom culture leads us to pursue not what is popular, not what is politically correct, but what is true, what is constant. It leads us to pursue the absolute truth and the kingdom principles that we find lined out in his word that never change that never grow old, that always produce what he says that they will produce. God's promises are always true. So we are encouraged to keep seeking the heart and the character of the king, to keep being willing to step out and obey. And as we do this, it begins to create a cycle in our life. We seek the king, he stirs us up, we step out in obedience, and then we stay the course in those things. And it's a cycle that creates a culture, creating patterns in our life as followers of Christ. Patterns that lead us to the promises that God has for us. You are here right now for such a time as this. Like Ali said earlier, it's not an accident. It's not by chance. You are here living out this time in this age, in this church, in this community, in your family, surrounded by your friends for such a time as this. And it's not to step back here. It's not to shrink back in insecurity and fear, but it is to step out in boldness, in courage, in sacrifice, knowing that he who calls you is faithful and he's gonna do what he's promised that he will do. And the God who began a good work in you is gonna be faithful to carry it out until it is completed in each of our lives. For such a time as this, 
we hold on to it and we walk out the truth of what God is calling us. I want to just end by praying, praying that we would allow God to stir us, praying that we would commit to courage and to sacrifice even when it's hard, that we would trust, that we would wait, that we would stay the course. So if you would just close your eyes and bow your heads with me. I also want to take a moment and I want to pray for maybe some of those of you that might be in here that don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you've never made him the Lord and the Savior of your life. And this morning, you're in here and, and you're feeling that stirring in your heart. God is stirring up faith within you. And you're feeling this desire to know him, to know who he is, to know the plan that he would have for your life. Maybe you do know God, but you've not been walking with him. If you're in here this morning and you want to know God as your personal Lord and Savior, or you want to rededicate your life to say, God, I'm going to follow you fully, closely. I'm going to align my life with you. If that's you in here this morning, would you raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for? I see those hands. You can put your hands down once you've raised them. Thank you. I want to pray for you specifically, and then I want to pray over all of us. But I'm going to ask that we would all pray together. I want to lead you in a prayer. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and believe with our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we receive salvation, we come to know him as our personal Lord and Savior. So would you just repeat after me, dear God, I want to know you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus to pay the price that I should have paid for my sins. Today I ask for your forgiveness and I receive your gift of salvation. I'm aligning my life with you to follow you forward. In Jesus' name. Father God, I pray that we would all be stirred up by your word this morning. I pray, Father God, that we would seek you above all else. God, that nothing would be more important in our lives than seeking you, God in spending time in your word, in prayer, in knowing, Father, what you would ask of us, Father God, in knowing your heart, in knowing who you are. God, that our lives are not about us, they're about you. God, that you would get the glory, that you would be honored, Father, that you would teach us and grow us and continue to shape us to be more and more like you, who you've called us to be. God, that we would not just sit back in fear. I pray right now, God, that we would make a decision today that we would not be hindered and paralyzed by fear anymore. But God, that we would recognize, yes, we feel fear, but we don't have to be paralyzed by it. You've given us your armor. You've given us your armor to go forward, Lord, in what you've called us to do in victory, following you, equipped, strengthened, God, apart from you, we can do nothing, but with you, nothing is impossible. So I pray that each one of us would be reminded that we are here for such a time as this, that we would seek you for that purpose, God, and that we would follow you forward, staying the course faithfully. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your promises. Thank you that we can trust you, God. Encourage our hearts. Strengthen us, God and continue to speak to us like only you can. We love you and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
What a good word. So good. I pray you just leave encouraged and filled today. And we're taking off our spiritual pajamas. Amen. I'm ready to do that. And I know you guys are as well. Stand with us. We're going to say our declaration and be dismissed. Say this over yourself. Believe it. And then have a great week. And we will see you all this week. I am a bridge builder. This is my season of favor. I am blessed to live my best. I will choose to love him first. I will worship fully, love deeply, and my community will thrive because I am praying for it. I am a carrier of peace. I will represent God's gentleness to myself and others. I will live out his gospel. I am blessed to live my best because I I'm a bridge builder. Amen. We love you, bridge fam. We are so glad that you joined us today. If you made a spiritual decision today, whether that be dedicating your life to Christ for the first time or rededicating your life to Christ, email us at info at wearebridge.church and let us know you made that spiritual decision. Also, if you are joining our Bridge Church online family for the very first time, we have a special gift for you. Email us at info at wearebridge.church to share some information so we can get that gift out to you. We're so happy that you joined us today and we can't wait to see you soon. Make sure to stay connected because we are so much better together.